to the Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Missoni and Marshall, a meeting from Marketplace. We're here weekly to discuss the journeys of women in the food industry. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall Soap Sauce. And Sarah Missoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. Hi, Sarah. Good morning. <laughs> How has your week been? Wow, it's been really hectic. Has it? Yeah, although I think you've been busier than me. Uh, I know you said that, and I was like, Omsi I don't know, after just dark. usual. Yeah, I did do OMSI After Dark, and I wanted and to tell people about it because it's such a cool event. Um, OMSI every month does um, this OMSI After Dark where only grown-ups can go. No kids mm-hmm. are allowed. All these food and beverage industry people come and have tables there, so people like me. But then the Halloween one, everyone wears super awesome costumes, and most of them are homemade, and people come in every year, and it's pretty cool. Um, and then they always make it a spirits themed one for Halloween but it's like spirits like drinks so they have all these local distillers and stuff there so it's really awesome and I wanted to mention that when you go to that you can see the specialized shows so there's this really cool bug exhibit there that's right that's there right now you said it's like art it is. It's beautiful. So it kind of reminds me of like the Natural History Museum, but it's like, but an artist did it. So everything is beautifully like backlit and there's, you know, bugs and sea creatures and all these really cool things. And you see all the colors. Yeah. And it's really amazing. Wow. Perfect yeah. for the Halloween yeah, season. It's so beautiful. And it's all like dark and calm and quiet in there, especially if you go to the time that no kids are allowed. <laughs> So it was really nice. Yeah, so they cha- they change their stuff like seasonally, right? They change it all the time, yeah. So if that's something you want to see, you should get there to see it because it might go away. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I saw that you were at the Oregon Food Bank um, fundraiser. That's right. I did get to go to the fundraiser. Yeah. Have you Had you been before? No. I, I went last year. I don't as run a, in that circle. I, I went last year as a guest of Mary. Me too. So for Whole Foods, I was a guest. Yeah, it's pretty amazing because if you have ever been in the Oregon Food Bank, when it's a warehouse, it's yeah. really just a big warehouse. There's yeah. food everywhere. There's they pallets. They got it and all things. set up, all cool. They they really transform Jazzy, it into this it wonderful space, mm-hmm. and it's nice that then they don't have to rent a space right. because all that money can go back to the food bank. So right, and they cool. raised like $460,000 in just a couple hours. That's wild. That was crazy. Yeah. Did they have like an auctioneer They person? did. They had a gal auctioning off all these different donated things like trips to yeah. here and there. And I had never been to anything like that before. I was yeah. like, oh, this is really when fun we checked and wild. In, I, when they checked in, they gave us a number and they're like, would you like to leave your credit card with us? And I'm oh, like, yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> it's a really great. I'm not that high of a fundraiser. <laughs> yeah. You were there just to show your love for I'm the food I'm like bank. one of those people who live on the outside of that circle. Yeah. 
I bought one of their um, like tickets that was like it was like the one thing you could do for like a flat rate. And yeah. so it was like, yeah, I'll and buy you it. get to and go in the drawing. Yeah, I, yeah. I did not win. The but. only way you win is if you buy a hundred of those <laughs> <Yeah>. tickets. <laughs> but it's such a cool thing. We love the Oregon Food Bank, and it's yeah. great that they have lots of people that give money to them yep. and support them. And, and we have lots of buddies there. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, I have some food news for the week. Okay. Um, so we have uh, our farm friend buddies. I think I've talked about them before, but Food Waves. So they um, are an organization that educates the next generation of farmers. So they mm. have a farmer's market stand at the farmer's market. They're like two stands down from us. Food Wave? Food Waves. Okay. Yeah, we love them. Um, and they they have like an internship program where they're teaching people how to farm so that we don't lose our farmers in the community. So it's really awesome. But they're doing their annual fundraiser, and it's on Sunday from 2 to 5 at the Left Bank Project. Project, which the address there is 1661 North Wheeler. And you don't have to buy any tickets or anything. You can just show up. And they're doing a couple of raffles and things like that. So if you want to come and learn more about Food Waves and support them, they would really appreciate that. And you can find out more information on foodwaves.com. So if you guys want to come to that, please do. That's we will be there. They will be auctioning off some of our hot sauce. <laughs> so <laughs> come, cool. come and support. And if you're a food entrepreneur and have a press release for us to announce, submit those at startupradionetwork.com and we'll help you spread the word about events, new projects and awards, things like that. And we are not just here to talk about events, but maybe we are. But we're going to um, <laughs> we have a guest in the studio today who's patiently awaiting introduction. So Lisa Sedler is here and she is from Green Zebra Grocery. So welcome Lisa. Thank you. It's did such it, a pleasure to be here. I was it, enjoying your morning banter. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> did I say we your name? We should be right? on the radio you did. every okay. day. Good. <laughs> Yeah, we're so glad that you're here. Um, we like to connect listeners to you, if that is beneficial. Is the best way for them to follow along with your story through Green Zebra Grocery, or do you have another way that you want people to find you? No, that's a great way. Perfect. So find um, Green Zebra Gro- Grocery on Instagram. They're super easy to find. I um, Not many green zebras around. <laughs> no. <laughs> Unless you're a tomato. Although I was talking mm-hmm. to a food writer from the New York Times yesterday, and I was like, so I'm gonna we're going to interview the Green Zebra Grocery lady, she's like, ooh, tomatoes? Exactly. Right. <laughs> she got it. Right away. I didn't yeah. have to explain it. Love it. Shout Do, out to Rachel. Yeah. Do people sometimes um, not get it? Oh, most of the time. Oh, yeah. They don't get it. I mean, you know, it's not the most, um, it's not a commercial variety of tomato, you know. Yeah. So. Tell us the story behind it. I know you have a story. About Green the name zebra? or about yeah. the How tomato? How did you pick it? Oh, gosh, going back. You're, you're taking me back now, Sarah. <laughs> well, um, you know, when you're picking a name for a business, you want it to be memorable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you can't unthink white elephant. Right. So hopefully you can't unthink green zebra once you conjure that idea. And you want it to be, I don't know if this is a word, but logoable. Is that a word? It is yeah, now. sure. We yeah. just used it. It's good. Yeah. And then I wanted to tie it to our regional food economy mm. and the green zebra tomato, according to my research, was first um, developed at Oregon State University's Ag oh. Center. Sounds um, like it's it. It's one of those grafted kind of deals that mm-hmm. um, was developed there. So it certainly um, is is our regional food economy, that that little tomato, and they're very tart. They make you Do you pucker. have those in your store when they're available? We sure do. Oh, do they sell like hotcakes? No. 
I no. wouldn't say they do. People don't know about them. <laughs> no, they don't. Because they're green and they're tart, you know, and yeah. not everybody knows how to Probably make a great chutney that. or something. They're great with chutney. They're great, you know, the old fried green tomatoes. Ooh, that sounds yummy. Yeah. yeah. I have a um, green tomato enchilada sauce and green tomato Bloody Mary mix Ooh. in my book because people don't know what to do with them a lot. And we in Oregon, we have so many green tomatoes, not specifically because the, the green zebra t- tomato is a little different because it's ripe when yeah. it's green still, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. this is the idea of using unripe tomatoes. But I pickled um, green cherry tomatoes. They're a great garnish for cocktails. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although or I tacos. don't really make cocktails, but I like to give them to people <laughs> and tell them that. <laughs> you don't make them or you don't drink them? I don't make them and I don't really drink them too much, but I love to like give people a little half pint of green tomatoes and say, hey, use these for your cocktails. And they look at me and they go, ooh. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> Does this feel at all like that program on uh, Saturday Night Live where they talk about sweaty balls? <laughs> <laughs> Except for we no. only talk about tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Is she a perfect cast or what? I know. Well, I was going to say, I've never met you before. I mean, clearly we rode up in the elevator together and didn't know each other. But when I was Uh, looking you up online, which is part of like my job of coming in here, um, I was like, you know, she really reminds me of Sarah. Because do you know that if you look you up online, you have a hashtag? Did you know that? No. You do on Instagram. I didn't think that you would know because I couldn't find you on there. And so there are people that that have quoted you and your face is there. And then you have big quotes up in the top like a me- like your own no meme way. and not a lot of people have their own memes but Whoa. you do shut up I'm not meme? even joking so <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to tell you the quotes that are oh, on there because they're really good this and, is awesome. and I and having never met you I was like mhm she's going to be our friend here okay so the first one that comes up is this quote if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you probably should go to a different room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you know where I am that definitely quote... <laughs> not the smartest person in this room. I will be camped out with you all day. <laughs> do you know where that quote came yeah, from? I do you I, remember saying I, it? I do. I think it was from the TED Talk. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. you did mm-hmm. a TED Talk? I did. TEDx, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. On the terrors of being an entrepreneur. Did you love that? I did. I did. You know what's funny about that? Um... I didn't do that. I mean, this was back in 2013, and I didn't do a lot of research about how to do a TED Talk. I didn't know you were supposed to get a coach and practice a whole bunch. And Yeah, it's become something very different. Yeah, so I just kind of did it from my heart, and um, it was about the pros and cons of being an entrepreneur. I think those are the best kinds of I'm TED Talks. I'm going to have to look though. it up. I think you choose your own journey. So you did yeah. not go with a coach. Some people do. That doesn't mean that it was you wrong. You don't want to be influenced <laughs> by a coach. I feel like it was wrong. I just didn't. No, no, but you know, I just didn't like, know that people did that. I mean, yeah. coaches yeah. influence you, so they like get you to kind of think about what they're thinking about, and I think it's better to think about what you think about. Yeah, exactly. So, and anyway, can people find that TED Talk online? Oh yeah, at the okay. TEDx. Yeah, mm-hmm. TEDx get, Portland. Get, That's on my should, bucket. Should look for bucket it. list to do a TED Talk. Yeah, someday when I grow up, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty exhilarating because the crowd is into it just yeah. from the first second you put your foot on, That's the, why on the stage. They go they, yeah, they want to be in it with you and they want to be um, hearing your story and laugh and be entertained and learn. Mm-hmm. So that was great. I really enjoyed it. Okay. That's awesome. I have one other quote I found that you that somebody made a meme of. Are you ready? 
Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so the other one that was my favorite was learn from all other businesses, from tech to strippers. Listen for each person's kernel of truth. <clears throat> I love that. Yeah. I think that... That's a pretty broad range of people. Well, it is a, a broad range of people, but it's so true. Like, everybody has their own thing to offer, and we can all learn from each other. But I think a lot of times people are like, oh, I have to, um, you know, find somebody that's a mentor, that's a person that I'm learning from that's in my own field. Yeah, and that already knows what I need yeah, to know. and I don't think mm-hmm. that's always the case. I think we can all learn from each other, and it's more of yeah. um, what we're getting from a community and giving to each other as that's a community. That's wise. Yeah, I think the idea of just listening. Yeah. You know, like... I already know I'm going to go to OMSI and, and do the night food show just because Ooh, cool. you talked about it. And um, maybe I'm going to be under the influence of some sort of drug when I go because it just sounds so cool. And like you were talking about the colors and I was like, yeah, let's get some mushrooms and then go down there. And... They have stuff in the planetarium. Oh my God. I spoke in the planetarium. You could do magic mushroom ice cream. Yeah, good. I'm going to get Kim to do that. I'm going to talk to her about magic mushroom. So there's this microdosing on on mushrooms now. I'm not just like... Well, I am kind of crazy, but um, imagine that you can help your mental health state by consuming micro doses of magic mushrooms. And it's a big field of study now. And hmm. um, but yeah, I could imagine going down to Omsi at night and in the nonprofit like social world world like that world where I came from before. Um, that was something that people would talk about at conferences. Was like um, people who have experienced different kinds of trauma, and they were they were that was you know 15 years ago. They were trying to find ways to kind of have microdosing be a form of treatment because they could help people like get through some of their trauma. So that's like a a thing. Um, I don't know that they have found a way to actually legally do that yet, but maybe they will. Um, I'm going to bring this up to my colleagues and get the College of Egg on that stat. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think it's a good idea. I support Mm -hmm. it. Especially since we have so many weird mushrooms growing here. Yeah. I've never been on a mushroom hunt. Have you? No, it's also on my bucket list. Like, like, are we talking mushroom hunting, like just regular mushroom hunting, like chanterelles? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. You've oh, done it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, she totally. grew up in Welsh's. Yeah, it's mushroom, mushroom world Capital. up in the mountains. But I actually, I mean, I would go more towards like the beach. Like if you're going out 26, uh, that's like a good place hmm. to, more, to more, go mushroom hunting. Oh. Yeah damp and stuff. Yeah, we should have a lady mushroom hunt. Oh my god. I mean, I'm, I'm not it. an expert, but I usually go with someone who knows what so they're doing. So just find the expert and yeah, follow find them. them. Yeah, have them, have them take us around. But do you know that you can also take any mushrooms that you find to the forest service stations and you can have them tell you if you if you can eat them or not? What? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, you That's can. That's a good so strategy. Sometimes because people are worried, as they should be, especially if you, you don't know exactly what you're doing, but you can have them like confirm. Yeah, these are okay. Yeah, these aren't. We can bring my little dog, Scout. Is he a mushroom hunter, too? Um, he's a she. She. Get, get her pronouns right. <laughs> Just kidding. I never really thought is about they, dog pronouns. Is they a mushroom hunter? Um, she's just a, you know, she's like a badger dog, you know. She's she likes just, to dig around. Yeah, she does. She's dachshund. I wonder if she could learn to search for the truffles. I, I think she cannot be trained. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she's not trainable. Oh, so one of the great things about your store that you have right now is that it's a very small footprint mm-hmm. with a lot of variety and interesting local foods. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, the best part of being a grocer is being able to hunt and find new products and taste and bring them to a larger audience. Mm-hmm. It's honest to God, it's the best thing ever. I, when I eat things, I'm like, oh, this is so good. I want other people to eat it too, you mm-hmm. know? 
Um, and so I go to a lot of different food shows and, and taste a lot of different things. And, um, and just thinking about, you know, I'm hearing about these fires and in California, and I was talking to my sister. She lives in L.A., and, you know, they have a go bag ready at all times. Mm. And I was just thinking about the agriculture also. I mean, yes, the people, of course, and um, but what happens to the agriculture? And, and I try to tie that to our agricultural area and how lucky we are to live in the Willamette Valley. And, you know, it's kind of each of our responsibility to protect this land that we have and to support local farmers and fishers and ranchers and makers. And it's not just because it sounds nice. It's not because it's in vogue. It's just the right thing to do mm. if we want to keep this for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. So, yeah, not very many people um, when their kids think when I grow up, I'm going to own a grocery store. Mm. Yeah. Good one. So that's like kind of big that you ended up in that place. How did you get to that? Yeah, it, you know, it's really interesting because some of my first and fondest memories around food are my dad taking me to the Eastern Market in Detroit. Mm. I grew up in Detroit, and obviously he wouldn't fly me all the way from here to there. Um, mm -hmm. But, like, I remember the cheesemonger from, like, being a tiny little kid, and the cheesemonger at the market wore a white wrap apron. I don't know how to describe it on you know, yeah, wrap, wrapped wrap. around the front and tied <laughs> in the back. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But it was a coat. Um, and they would hand slice cheeses and hand them over the counter. And I could pick anyone I wanted. You and, got to taste what you want to yeah, see, like, like what you four, wanted. You yeah. know, and we'd buy whole cases of um, Ruby Red Indian River grapefruit back in the day mm -hmm. and, and store them in our cellar. Yeah. And there was a meat market there in the center where all the stalls were. Um, in the very center of the market was a glassed-in meat market, and I was terrified of the meat mongers there and the butchers because they were, you know, they wore these bloody coats. They're probably huge people too, yeah, like, big guys, and yeah. you know, hanging cuts of meat there, and like little old me headed to the counter and hello, sir. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, we were so connected to our food from such a young age, mm -hmm. and you wouldn't think Detroit and food, but. These were memories that really imprinted on me from a young age. And so, um, but to answer your question, how did I get there? I thought I was going to be a large animal veterinarian. So oh. after high school, I went to the University of Arizona to study animal husbandry. And I thought I was going to be a large animal veterinarian. And then, you know, I started doing that work. Mm -hmm. And as as an intern, and it turns out you spend a lot of time with like your arm up the backside of an animal, a cow or like, something. Yeah, like a leg is stuck. That's exactly where I was. Like, <sighs> this yeah. is funny because I was just at the American Dairy Goat Association meeting, and there were like people talking about whether they inseminated the goat right, and they were walking around with these big, huge metal containers that had dry ice with goat stuff in it. Like, yeah, it was a thing. <laughs> I it's really want to say a bad word on your program, but I'm not going to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about an ice cream flavor with late. Anyway, so. That's bad. Oh. You're my favorite. Wow. <laughs> um, we have to make it spicy, I think. But while I was in school, I was working at a resort in Tucson, Arizona, where the University of Arizona is located. 
And there was an Austrian chef at this resort, and I was the salad bar girl. That's what they called me, the salad Ooh, bar girl. Oh, that's cool. It is cool. Did and you I arrange the kale around on top of the ice to make it look pretty and do all that kind of you know stuff? What? I was really not into wasting anything, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I didn't mm-hmm. want it to just be decorative, and then I'd throw it in the garbage. Okay. Um, but I did have a whole color blocking system, and, like, I took so much pride in this salad bar. And to this day, I'm just, like, really into the salad bar, and I'm... It's revi- like a puzzle for you. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. I get that. Yeah. So, anyway, this Austrian chef said, you know, you're... You have really good knife skills, and you really seem to have an eye and a flair for this. And um, he said, I think you should be a chef. And I was like, I'm really glad you said that because I'm not enjoying having my arm up the backside of this animal <laughs> I'm every like, day. I'm kind of over this. <laughs> yeah. So I, I went to culinary school in Chicago Oh, at, at Kendall College back in the 80s, and mm. um, they called me girl chef there. You probably were one of few. Yeah, one. There was you one the in my class. Gal? Yeah, two. Two in my class. Yeah. Whoa. So um, that was really fun, though, and I got to work with Charlie Trotter for a hot second because mm. um, he was really angry, and I didn't like that. So no, I stopped working stupid. for him after that <laughs> hot second, and not to speak ill of the dead, so I'll stop there. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. but it was it was an experience being in Chicago in, in the late 80s, and then I worked at a restaurant in Detroit called the Rattlesnake Club with a chef named Jimmy Schmidt, mm. and that was really swell because he was part of this kind of— um, circuit with, you know, like Mark Miller from, um, oh gosh, at the time he was with the Coyote Cafe, but then he went on to do, I don't remember what. Um, something great. S- something on the East Coast. I just can't remember what it was It'll called now. It'll come to you in a sec. Might not. <laughs> Menopausal brain fog. It might not ever come back. It's okay. Yeah. Anyway, so, so I cooked for a bunch of years and it was really great. And, and then, then I worked for um, this company called Freshfields. Oh. And they were based out of Annapolis, Maryland, but they were opening stores in Chicago. And they're just like Whole Foods, basically. And Whole Mm -hmm. Foods wound up buying them. Okay. I was going to say, are they still around, but Whole Foods? Yeah. And then I stayed with Whole Foods for most of the 90s. Um, Maybe all of the 90s. I don't know. It's kind of a blur now. Oh. Um, And then I was recruited by this company called Pharmaca. There's a couple, one or two Pharmacas here in town, which is an East meets West kind of pharmacy model. And then I got recruited by New Seasons to come to Portland, and I fell in love with Portland immediately. That My first store I went to was the Selwood store, mm-hmm. and I thought, this is the best grocery store I've ever been to. It just has such a, a feeling about it, you know? Mm, it's neighborhood. It, yeah. Yeah. It's not... There was nothing there that was precious, you know? And that's something about Whole Foods. Like, I learned a lot there. I loved my experience at Whole Foods, and they're kind of the food police... They and are. They have their list. Yeah. I mean, that list governed all the work I did when I was at Gardenburger. Like, is it on the Whole Foods list of acceptable ingredients? Yeah. And it's just... Um, it's just kind of militaristic. You know? yeah. yeah. And when I went to New Seasons, I was like, oh, good. I like that they don't judge people and that they sell Coke. I like to drink Coke. They have some of everything. <laughs> yeah. My daughter loves that, too, because she loves Doritos. And oh, what she, a great they pair. have Doritos there. And it's like... I can get her to go grocery shopping with me if I'm like, if you do a good job, you get those Doritos you want because they sell little tiny bags. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, but this is interesting because Doritos are magic food. They are magic, right? Mm -hmm. I I remember when they came out in the 70s. Oh, my gosh. Me too. 
I know. We would buy a two liter um, thing of actually Pepsi and a big, huge bag of Doritos after swim meets, and we'd all sit around and eat them. Yeah. I grew Frank. up with like hippie parents, you know, who were like very much like we, my my mom made my bread, and like you mm-hmm. don't eat like things like that, and mm-hmm. there's no candy. There's like chocolate covered raisins. I know my mom's listening, so she's like, mm-hmm, yep, yep. But, <laughs> my mom and did I that think too. that is great, but I also think it's nice to have balance to be like, oh, yeah, because what it does when you grow up that way is like, then you see something and that's all you want like all I wanted when I was oh, a kid yeah. was a Twinkie like because everybody had Twinkies and you know growing up like in the 80s everybody had Twinkies and that's all I wanted in my life so it makes you do kind of weird things mm-hmm. like I would um, get a Jolly Rancher I would use like my allowance buy one sneak it sneaky buy one dissolve it in a cup of water in my closet so that I could make my own Kool-Aid. So I was like a creative crafter even back then, but then I would just sit in my closet and drink the Kool-Aid. I mean, that's weird. It makes you do weird stuff. But if you just like open up the world to be like, there's all this really great food, and sometimes it's okay to have this not really great food. That's like my philosophy now with my own child. It's kind of an interesting celebration of what life is. (laughs) Yeah. I like to have good balance. I hate to... You know, my mom's 85 now, and she's in good health overall. And I was talking to her the other day, and I was like, why did you have to put the pork chops underneath the broiler all the time? Yeah. Like an inch away from the heat source. I'm like, that made me really happy. I had to put butter on my meat after she cooked it. so dry or whatever? (laughs) Is that how her mom cooked it? No, actually, her mom was a good cook. (laughs) She made stuffed pork chops that she breaded and put in a cast iron pan and fried. They were so good. No, maybe your mom just was in a hurry. Was Mm, she working? We had four kids in our family, so, you know. Yeah. Are we going to take a little break? All right, we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. Committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences. Because food brings people together. Okay, we're back from our commercial break. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, Lisa, usually we have food startups on the show, which you are kind of, Sarah mm-hmm. and I kind of can bend the rules a little bit. Yeah. But we wanted to have you on because we also like to talk about the, you know, the title of the show is Meaningful Marketplace. So what is meaningful and being added to the community? So You're the marketplace. You, yeah, you are the marketplace that is meaningful. Can you talk about that mission of Green Zebra? Yeah, for sure. Um, I still consider us a startup and... I hope we always have that scrappy startup um, way about us. And But, yeah, the when I think about Green Zebra, I think about a mashup between a Whole Foods and a 7-Eleven. And our mission is to increase access to healthy food through the convenience store footprint. Um, and when you think about convenience stores in general, there's a lot of problems with them. You know, oftentimes, you know, they're dirty to start. Yeah. Um They make most of their money on tobacco products, and they make most of their money on big, giant, sugary drinks, Um, and they also sell lottery tickets. And, you know, people think like, oh, lottery tickets, what's so bad about those? Well, guess who actually buys lottery tickets? People who are the lower income bracket of America, and it actually, when you do studies on lottery tickets, makes people more poor. 
and doesn't help them get out of the cycle of poverty at all. And so the whole model of a convenience store is tearing down the health of a neighborhood. And at Green Zebra, we want to increase the health of a neighborhood, and we want to take care of our staff members so that they get paid a fair wage. And our um, average wage at Green Zebra is fifteen forty-three an hour, and we offer health care benefits to every single staff member and their partner and their kids, So and part-timers, too. We that's, don't pay all of it. It's subsidized, you know, um, but... I think that's a pretty cool thing for yeah. such a small business. And sometimes I talk to investors and they say, well, you'd be way more profitable if you didn't do that. Do you have to do that? And I'm like, yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, you know, when I think about the startup, you know, still raising money, still in there grinding away because, you know, not a lot of people want to invest in a business that isn't promising to be a 10x. And, mm. and I don't tell people that. I don't say we're going to be a 10x. I'm like, I think we're going to be a 6x. Yeah. And we're building a company for the long haul, and we want to take the long view of mm-hmm. this whole thing because we're, you know, building community and food together, you know, and people don't get it. Investors don't get it, I should say. Yeah. It's too small for they're, them, they they're say. They're new to mm-hmm. food. Yeah. They all eat, but I don't know. They just don't get the food business. So how do people get their food in your shops, in your stores? Well, at least once a year, we do okay. a food fair at the Food Innovation Center. Oh, that's right. <laughs> um, that's a food extravaganza, actually. Yeah, and sometimes we do it just for one department. Like a few months back, we did it just for the deli because we were looking for um, delicious, healthy grab-and-go options um, from makers in there. You know, maybe you're in a food truck and you want to start moving into retail, and so we tasted a lot of really wonderful food. Um, did and any of those get in? How did it go? Do you kind of know? or um, I'd have to ask our, our deli buyer. I've worked which with a few people afterwards to sort of help them get ready for you. I just never really know if they launch like, there was, into the system. There was one we really loved, and we were ready to bring in right away. And unfortunately, um, they were no longer in business. Hmm. What? And it was really sad because it was the most delicious, fresh food, and it was vegan and wonderful. Hmm. Yeah. You're, uh, if you guys haven't been into uh, Green Zebra, the deli cases are really amazing, and they do a good job. And then the thing that I really like about it is that I've lived in the, a lot of the places where you have stores now, and there was nothing there. So, like, I went to school at PSU and lived there and worked at the Women's Resource Center, so I was always on PSU campus. And, and this was a long time ago, but there was nothing good and healthy to eat. So having that location on campus, because now I'm back on campus, but at the farmer's market, it's really nice to have that access to good food because it wasn't there. I'm really glad you enjoy it. And one of the things that's so important about that college campus location is that a lot of kids drop out of school because they can't afford to eat and go to school. And the food pantry across the street from our store, I was shocked because we give food to the food pantry every day. And when the food pantry opens, there's a line snaking around the the hallways for the food pantry down there. And so um, we're really glad that we can support it and it's there. And we're glad that we have healthy food that is relatively affordable. Mm -hmm. I mean, natural, organic, local foods do cost more. Yeah. And um, I can tell you that we're not 
making tons of money at this. And so it's not like we're marking it up to make a huge profit. Access is really important to me. And all students get a 10% discount and seniors do. And um, people on SNAP also get a discount. Nice. Um, because SNAP dollars run out after about three weeks. Yeah. Um, mm, the last week is the toughest one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to float an idea past you two. Okay. And, um, I've been thinking about plant-based a lot lately. Oh. Mm-hmm. Like living in that space and um I'm kind of toying with the idea of making green zebra all plant-based. And the thing that I'm hung up on is not everybody eats that way all the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things that we just said was great about new seasons was that you can get Doritos there, you know. Um and they're plant-based. Oh, they Love do it. have some cheese on them. Well, yeah. But At least they say it does have cheese on them. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? It's yeah. some sort of um, thing. But there's natural vegan chips that are Dorito-like. Um, mm-hmm. But I was thinking about it from the standpoint of when you go to buy, if you want to be plant-based or even eat more plant foods in general beyond mm-hmm. just salad, mm-hmm. you have to spend a lot of time planning in advance. Mm -hmm. Where am I going to shop? How much time do I have to read labels? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so if the store could just be all plant-based, would it work? What do you think? Well, there are, isn't there uh, a vegan There is. Food Fight. But there's Mm -hmm. no produce at Food Fight. There's no coffee. I've never even been into Food Fight. How does it? It's awesome. It's great, but it's tiny. I mean, and they're running on, I mean, they're providing something that isn't really provided anywhere else. So they don't have a lot of, um, you know, money. And so so I think it's tough. I think it kind of, it's, it's a great idea but I think it limits your customer a lot because and when when we've talked when we talked to Food Fight about first getting in there they were like our our customers love us they don't have a lot of money and there's not a lot of them yeah. you know and so I think that can be limiting for grocery but I think it's a wonderful idea I mean I think it sounds awesome my only worry would be that it would limit your customers I think mm-hmm. what you, know? you have to do is pair plant based with indulgence mhm so you have to have a robust section with wines, beers. Which we already have, right? And then um, I was recently visiting with the cheese buyer from Rainbow down in... Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Rainbow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he said that three of the plant-based cheeses are in their top 11 totally. cheeses. The Miyoko's cheese is delicious, and it sells like crazy. Yeah. So... So it's basically Why our store. Why don't you try it with one of your stores? Yeah, I yeah, was going to say, I think like if it was we'll, going to work anywhere, it would work at here. PSU. Well, just in Portland, and I think PSU is a great option because, I mean, a lot of our customers from the farmer's market, you know, that's that's a lot of people. That's how they eat. They what eat if plant-based food. Big, big, huge pots of pre-cooked beans, and people could just come in and fill their, like, 32-ounce thing of, like, here's your whatever beans for the day. Hmm. I'm down to try it. I think it's worth exploring. I like that idea. We wouldn't really have to change very much yeah. in the no. store, frankly, mm-hmm. because probably almost 70% of what we sell now yeah. is plants. Yeah. I mean, beer and wine, yes, they use some filtering that might have animal egg white in it, but most of the beer and wine we sell is already vegan. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, the salad, our salad bar is our number one selling item in our stores. It's vegan. So, 
Yeah, it's not vegan, but the, it's 90%. It yeah, it has eggs and cheese. But that's not the main thing that sells from it. It's, you know, egg, it's lettuce and vegetables. But anyway, I watched this show last night called um, The Game Changers on Netflix, and it was about athletes who are plant-based and the myth of protein, animal protein, mm, and mm-hmm. so on. And um, And even if you just want more plants in your life, you don't have to be vegan to shop there. You know, like that's right. not the idea that mm-hmm. it's just for people who are vegan. It's just telling people that all of the things here are plant-based. I think it's very disruptive and doing disruption is a little scary, but I think it might be heading in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I would say, I think I support your idea, but I think try it with one store first mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that you can see what happens. Well, remember, uh, what's their name? Kentucky Fried Chicken? Yeah. There was a line. What I know with that Beyond Chicken deal, and they don't can't even keep it like in on the menu. Same with Burger King and the Impossible Burger. Mm-hmm. I know it's now's the time. Oprah's doing the thirty day plant challenge. I just read that yesterday. What? Like I the think queen. it's I think it's time. But anyway, we'll see. I'm into it. Yeah, I'm into it too. All right. I wanted to talk Thanks about for your all, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wanted to talk about all the boards that you were on. Because that is something that, um, or have been on, it takes a lot of time. And I think sometimes um, people that are new in the food industry or or even that have been for a while get asked to do these things a lot. And I just want you to talk about, like, why you do that. Why do you say yes when somebody asks you to be on a board? Um, well, it goes back to food and community, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's influential for one thing, right? You get to give your opinion? Mm, sometimes. sometimes. I, I think really it comes down to, I'm not trying to beat around the bush here or anything. It's just, um, I care about what happens in my community. Yeah. And I want to be helpful in ways that I can be, and food is the way I can do that. And I used to be on the board at the food bank um, for seven years, and I helped put on that event that you talked about. Um, and I think the first year I hosted was the year we brought it back to the warehouse. And mm-hmm. um, I remember that year I did a theme for it because I just wanted food and fun to go together in an atmosphere of raising money. So I figured if people were having fun at this event, that they would open their wallets and give more. And so we had a juggler there, and we had the tall unicycle people there. Not oh, the people, but the bikes awesome. were tall. Um, <laughs> and we had contortionists. And I think that year was the year that Terry Porter was there, and we played basketball together at one of those things where you shoot the basket side by side, you know, mm. like at Chuck E. Cheese. And um, it was just a really fun event. And so we raised um, our our goal and then some. You know, sometimes I found being on boards, um, you know, I believe in addressing the root causes of hunger. Mm -hmm. And the root causes of hunger are around education and how much people make and health care. And so I've since shifted a little bit more to doing what is immediately um, meaningful, you know, like Meals on Wheels. When you do Meals on Wheels and you hand a senior the meal for the day. I've done deliveries. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable because sometimes <clears throat> you're you're the only person they see mm-hmm. the whole day. And that's yep. the only food they have yep. the whole day. Mm-hmm. And so you're immediately making an impact on someone's life mm-hmm. who needs food to live. Yep. 
So, um, and then education um, is is a big one to me too. And sometimes you join boards and you don't feel like you're making an immediate impact, but then if you help provide food for a food pantry, you do. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what I was hoping you would address because I think sometimes people think that when you're on a board, you don't have that direct impact. But like, if you if you work in nonprofit wor- world, so you were on the board for. Um, the Food Works program, which was Village Gardens, mm-hmm. and I worked for Janice Youth for ten years, and so um, we can't do any of that work without the board making those decisions and then letting us do it. And so it's so important for those boards to exist. But sometimes I think that people don't really realize that because they they like think they have to do all this direct work, but the board exists so that people can do that direct work. Totally. And so it's so important. And I think sometimes people just like won't do it or think that they don't have the time or something like that. But I, I just, I love that people will do it and cause it is volunteering your time, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like an important piece of having our community nonprofits run. Yeah. They, you need them and you need people to volunteer that time. And so I just think that it's great that you have done all those things. And, and if people are ever asked to be on a board and you can volunteer the time, please do it because it's so important for those systems to run well. Mm-hmm. I think so too. And, you know, I also think that people say, how do you have time to do that? And, um, you know, if you want to get something done, give it to the busiest person you know. Yeah. Because they'll get it done. They're mm-hmm. already yeah. in that mode of getting shit done. So. That's true. Mm-hmm. What's one more thing? Yeah. It's true. Hmm. Don't we know? <laughs> <laughs> we we sometimes are the busiest people that we know. <laughs> yeah. I just drove by on the way here. Um, the division location yeah. is back on track, it's right? So, yes, I'm so excited. Is that exciting for you? <laughs> it's so exciting, because that was supposed to be the first store. Yeah, I remember. That's, like, been happening through since seven, late in the se- nine. In 20s, the 70s? 17. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 17. <laughs> Actually, it was the first lease we signed um, in 2013. 2013. And, yeah, that's when we founded the business. And oh. so it's changed landlords a couple of times and gone through the process at the city. Um and, you know, at various times, we didn't have enough money, and so we had to wait and blah, blah, blah. So, and it got torn down. Yeah, that landlord, the new landlord said, we're going to start over and we're going to build more density in the neighborhood. And so there's 125 units above us. Oh, perfect. Um, and so that store is going to open. It was supposed to open in December, um, but it looks now with the permitting and city stuff, not blaming the city, much. <laughs> um, but it will open now in, um, I think, January is what they're targeting, assuming that all the sidewalk mm-hmm. rigmarole gets worked out and the lighting and the bloody do. Um, but it's it's a really special store, just like all of our stores. And this one's going to have, um, I invented something called the kombucha Slurpee. Oh, tell yeah. us about it. Yeah. Um, what? So I know. I know. Crazy, right? You so, go, girl. Um, I'm going to have to come by and have one of those. I hope you do. I hope you do. I There's used one, to one love is the a cherry CBD. Coke. Yeah. I, one, one is a cherry Coke flavor. What? It's not Coke. It's a cola, cola berry flavor, but it's designed to be. And you know what, Sarah? Maybe you could help me do like a blue raspberry since that's the number one selling okay. conventional. Come on it. Yeah, like how do we do a blue raspberry? With kombucha? Yeah. 
Yeah, and then what's so cool is the local kombucha companies are really happy to partner with us to build the base. So we had to do some science and you know yeah. figure out the bricks. I think I already know how to make blue raspberry. You oh. do? Yeah. Let's go. Natural. Tell us. So you can use use raspberries, just yes. regular raspberries, but right. you could use white ones because if you mix red and blue together, it's going to be kind of ugly green. Yeah. But you could use white raspberries and you could use those um, pea shoots that turn everything blue. Ooh. They're like pea flowers. Ooh. <sighs> yeah. Are they widely available? I mean, th- we'd yeah, have to freeze them. them. I mean, pick them and freeze yeah, them. Yeah, it wouldn't be wouldn't be cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it'd be blue. But it would be blue, and it would be natural, and it would be awesome. There are we some natural blue blues that you can get. There are, yeah, like in the form of drops. Yeah, interesting. From yeah. the color companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're down in California. Yeah, in the Midwest. So we call it as Lurpy with a Z. I'm sure 7-Eleven's going to slap me at some point with some sort of, you can't call it that. But when they do, I'll be like, oh, at least I'm on their radar. You should do Jolly Rancher flavored ones. Right? Yeah. Oh. Those mm-hmm. are really good, too. Yep. We worked on that a long time ago at the Food Innovation Center. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. That sounds really fun. So they're, that's going to be at the division location when yeah. it opens, mm-hmm. and it will just be at that location? No, we have them at the other stores, too. Oh, you do? They're Where are we there? There's one flavor at Where? the other stores. Um, well, Which? you could go to the PSU one right now. And, oh, what? And, and have some. And then there's a CBD one. And um, yeah, Oof. that's really cool. I'm into pretty, it. Let's go try exciting. it, Sarah. Got to try it. Okay. They're really refreshing. Field and the, trip. The sugar content is turns out to be around 13%, um, which is just the threshold before. I don't know. You know so the science. So it's 13 grams per 100 grams? Or I, how? What yeah. do you mean? 13% yeah, yeah. of the it's daily 13, value? It's or? 13 grams. You're right. That's what it is. It's like a Coke is 20, no, 30 40. grams. Isn't it? It's higher. Yeah. Anyway, all I know is the number 13. <laughs> so maybe I yeah. should shut up about exactly what it is. That's actually pretty good. Me. I mean, I'd like to see it down around eight. Mm-hmm. So well, let's we try to do that. that. Okay. Part of it is the texture and how it builds body. Yeah, and so having it um, be smooth and not granita-like is a problem. And You can add um, guar gum or xanthan gum to it, just a little tiny bit. Hmm. I can't wait to wear I should have called you first. I've just been <laughs> screwing around with it, you know, mad professor-like. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to do things, though. And then and then you bring the idea to Sarah, and then she's like, oh, yeah, you got this, but she'll just do, do one this. thing. Just dial yeah. it. And it's just perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So we only have a little bit of time left, but one question that I really wanted to ask was if you have any um, advice for new businesses that are entering the marketplace, because you are this grocery leader, what do you want the makers of the community to know about grocery? Well, I really want you to look at your category before um, you think about doing this. I was talking to a potential maker uh, the other day, and he was like, I want to come to market with a, a salmon-based tomato sauce for pasta, <sighs> right? And I was like, when's the last time you purchased that product or anything similar to it? And when's, I mean, you know, yes, you want to invent something, but like really think about what it looks like at the shelf beforehand and maybe sometimes it's not on the shelf for a reason because it doesn't taste right and um and then just like kind of studying the height of the bottle i remember some years back um a local tea company came out with this tall bottle of iced tea yeah i know who that is 
that was the best tasting iced tea that I ever had. <clears throat> However, it was going to require us to reset every shelf in in the tea department across the company. And I was like, we're not going to do that. Oh, we're going to have to put it in the wine section. Right. Exactly. And it's not going to sell there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just be really thoughtful about it. And um, the other thing is, like, raise more money initially than you think you're going to need. Um, put a higher valuation on it, too, so you don't get washed out. But it, and this is a controversial thing that I'm saying, because some people say don't raise money at all and bootstrap it. But the thing that is so difficult is that when the thing that you do that you're really good at isn't the thing you get to do because you're spending so much time trying to capitalize the business and finance the business and talk to investors and do road shows and blah, blah, blah. You can tell I hate doing that. <laughs> um, you don't get to spend time doing the thing you are really good at that benefits the business the most. Mm. <clears throat> and so I think you should raise more money at the beginning and just do the thing and get the thing done well. Actually, and Yeah. We, I totally agree, and we're trying to change that paradigm at the Food Innovation Center. Right now, we have some programs that we're talking about that are going to really, you know, request that people have their business plan in order and some funding in place. Mm-hmm. Because a great idea isn't always the reason to start a business. Exactly. you got to have all three sides of the business ready to go. Yeah. And you have to be a little paranoid, too. You know, like... Mm. What's happening in the marketplace? What could happen in the marketplace? How am I going to prepare for a downturn? Um, Just like thinking it through because passion is what gets you to the plate. But, you know, I'm thinking about baseball when I say plate and that, you know, but like what gets you the home run is really preparation and thinking about all the things that can go wrong in advance. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. So. Anyway, this has been so much fun. I know. Thanks for coming on the show. It was lovely to meet you and to have you here. And Back at you. Thanks. Yeah. We'll have to have you on again next year. Oh, yay. Yay. Thank you in advance for inviting me. I can't yeah. wait. And we can talk about our slushy 2.0 by then. That would be great. And everyone should go to the Green Zebras and check out the stores if you haven't been there. Can you tell us really quick just where the locations are so people can yeah, find there's, them? There's one on PSU's campus at Broadway and Mill. There's one in the Lloyd um, that is on Multnomah and 8th. There's one in North Portland on Lombard in the Kenton neighborhood, and then soon in January in on Division and 50th. Awesome. Wow, that's great. Four stores. Four stores. Maybe, Congratulations. Maybe 100 stores on the West Coast one day. Yay. I'd like to knock 7-Eleven out of it, you know? Get rid of tobacco. That's Blah. a good idea. Yeah. Well, we love what you're doing, and thank, thank you. you. Keep doing it. And thank everybody you. go support Green Zebra. We love them. Yes. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We record Masoni and Marshall inside of Ned Space. Tune in every Friday at 9 a.m., and you'll be able to find us on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you to Alon, our audio engineer, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on the show, submit um, those ideas to startupradionetwork.com, and we will be here next week. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye. Committed to serving Oregonians with the mission of advancing science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production, Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are inspired by the creativity of new food development. We strive to find new flavors, new economic opportunities, new experiences, and honor diversity. We are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace because good food brings people together. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.